The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Fort here at the New York Stock Exchange. Deirdre's got the morning off today. Stocks taking another leg lower, obviously. Tech, the worst performing sector. NASDAQ's down more than 2%. We're going to dig into this ugly end to the year. Sam Bankman-Fried back on U.S. soil, extradited from the Bahamas as his former colleagues plead guilty to criminal charges. We'll fill you in on the latest with the crypto fallout. And leading the declines today, chips take a dive. Micron falling after that disappointing quarterly result. We're going to break down the landscape in semis, John. Man, what a turn today. Indeed. Let's start with the semis. Uh, At the core of today's sell-off, the SMH down 4.5%. Micron falling this morning, actually not as much as a lot of the others after it missed on the top and bottom lines, lower than expected guidance. Uh, It also announced a restructuring plan for 2023 that includes reducing headcount by 10%, suspending bonuses company-wide, cutting salaries, CEO Sanjay Marotra placing the blame on lower demand in most markets, and customers bloated, yes, inventories. Micron, not even the worst performer, as I mentioned. Lamb Research down about 9%. Applied Materials, NVIDIA, KLA down sharply as well. Carl, this in a way isn't a surprise. We've been talking about inventory for weeks months even, because you have this oversupply situation developing and then uh, questions about demand, not just from consumer, but increasingly from enterprise. And as we head into, we're in two trading days before Christmas, it's not clear what the picture is to start 2023. Only now it's becoming clearer and it's ugly. So um, adjustments here. And I think a question of where do we end up when the smoke clears in January? How much of an inventory overhang? Because everybody's got to work through that before they order more. And if that's going to take a while, then customers are going to have to reduce costs in order to get profit. Right. Can we at least argue that this is a memory issue, right? People stockpiled a lot of this stuff in hopes of when they got their other kinds of chips? Or does this does this translate all the way across to high performance and leading edge? I think this is all the way across. Of course, there are going to be pockets of areas where uh, demand is a bit better, right? Because the market's relatively small for really high-performing machines. But I think with something like memory, every, everybody needs memory in everything. So if the demand is weak for that, it just means you're not putting as much stuff together because there's not as much demand for stuff. So um, I think the inventory overhang overall is a different issue. So how long does it take to work through that inventory is a question of the combination of that overhang and then the demand that shows up in early 23, which right now is the question. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at a chart of lamb, but the CapEx, that's why the Micron CapEx guide is so critical. Uh, Last fiscal year, 12 billion. 
They obviously lowered the target a couple of times to eight, now seven to seven and a half. That's where you're getting this, this fallout, this negative halo. And these are the cascades, right? When you see that that demand isn't showing up and you're a company that's being responsible, Sanjay Marotra has got to say, okay, well, we got we to gotta cut headcount. We got to cut salaries, right? We got to bring our costs down because our revenues are going to be down. And so then that stuff that those people won't be able to buy, that stuff that Micron won't be buying. And so somebody else down the chain has also got to cut their costs. Is the consumer effect in the relatively healthy labor market elsewhere enough to hold that up? Or does this cascading effect start to go through the entire market? Well, certainly their PC guide, I mean, I guess on a year on year, it's not as bad as 22. But it's certainly not getting positive. It's not. And it's, it's again, that demand question, Carl, right? Like year on year. Uh, how, how relevant is that guide right. anymore? Right. And we need to start talking two-year, three-year stacks on some of these uh, silos. Yeah. Uh, let's stick with stocks this morning. Evercore ISI cuts their targets on Alphabet and Amazon going into the new year. Still a buy on both names. Bracing, though, for softer demand across digital advertising, cloud computing, e-commerce in the months ahead. The analyst behind that call, Evercore ISI Senior Managing Director Mark Mahaney, joins us this morning. Mark, it's great to have you. Uh, appreciate the time today. Walk us through um, to what degree this sort of reflects your overall view of, uh, of economic or at least tech activity in 23? Uh, okay, well, first, you know, happy holidays and Merry Christmas to you, Carl. Um, and let's see here. Uh, we've got a softening environment. You already ticked off the area. So online advertising, online retail, uh, online travel is yet to start weakening. We think that's a very strong probability next year. At least it'll start decelerating from what was a huge year this year. And even enterprise spending with cloud computing is slowing down. So that's an issue for these names. And very similar to what you just talked about with these, um, with the chip companies, what investors want to see is if your demand's coming down, you better bring your cost structure down to match that. I think Google and Amazon, Google, Amazon to their credit was the first company to really call this out, that there was a need to bring in costs. I just don't think they've been aggressive enough about it yet. Google just went through five quarters in a row of accelerating record high employee ads. So I think they have a little bit of a cost structure issue going into next year. So we want to be you know, near-term cautious on both of these names. When revenue growth decelerates and margins are under pressure, it's hard to see the stocks outperforming. I think there's an interesting second half 23 play, but not in the first half. And that's why we're you know, near-term more cautious on both Amazon and Google, despite all the respect I have for them as long-term assets. Um, the stocks have both been cut, I guess, roughly in half this year. How much does that discount in the way of bad news? A lot. So one of the reasons that we, not to get too nuanced about this, but one of the reasons that we turn tactically constructive going into next year is that multiples have been de-risked, estimates have been de-risks, and for some companies, maybe not these two, but for some companies, for a good number of internet companies, it's about 70% of them, there have been RIF actions taken, reduction in force actions taken. So these com good number of the companies have gotten the memo, like uh, Meta, uh, and they're taking out you know 10% plus of their uh, workforce. What you, what you want to try to do with this, uh, this sector is be very tactical. You're looking for names that are somewhat recession resilient, uh, that have got maybe a new product offering and have already taken costs out. And it's kind of hard not to uh, put Netflix at the top of that buy list if those are the criteria. And I think those are the right ones. So it sounds like you're saying Netflix is a place to hide anywhere else narrative wise. And I know you're saying be tactical. It's a company by company thing. But what are some of the signposts that you look for to be able to tell whether a company is in position to do better than others within the areas that you cover? 
Well, uh, I don't cover a defensive area. Uh, the Internet stocks are not defensive. Um, and it is very heavily and very heavy exposure to consumer discretionary spend. So all of that should make you think you're going to see decelerating you know, revenue trends, at least through the first half of uh, 23, hopefully just through the first half of 23. But there are a couple of these models that I think are more utility or in the case of Netflix, it's incredibly cheap entertainment. So you can do six ninety nine for a month of access to Netflix's category. I think that's, you know, you can buy a latte and a half or whatever at Starbucks for that price. That's cheap entertainment. Consumers will stick with Netflix, I think, as you go through whatever challenges we have next year, a probable recession. Another name I like is Uber. I think the mobility side of the business is more of a utility than consumer discretionary spend. We still got to commute. We're still going to do our social outings over the weekends. We'll still have a few of these airport trips. So I think mobility at Uber holds up well. And that company clearly got the cost memo. They have taken out costs. They were forced to during the COVID crisis. They have taken out dramatic amounts of costs. So at least they're lean and mean going into next year. Those are two names I like going into 23. That's pretty good. Um, of the of the top picks you have, no, no matter what the cap uh, cap size, which one feels the most like an outside pitch right now? Well, um, I'll also mention uh, Meta. Now, Meta doesn't have a new product stream, and it's fully exposed to advertising. The advantage you have with Meta is that this company got the cost memo. They took 13% of their employees out, and they started getting that hit to their revenue growth much earlier than everybody else. So they made it's kind of like first in, first out. You know, it looks to me like revenue growth has actually already started to stabilize somewhat at, uh, at, uh, at Facebook and at, at, at Meta. And then these comps get so much easier for Meta going into next year and the valuation at 12 times gap earnings. I just think the risk-reward is highly asymmetric, so it's kind of my outlier and it's contrarian uh, call in the Internet space. That's a lot of coverage, uh, markets. why we turn to you so often. Uh, really good radar on so many important names. If we don't talk before uh, the holidays or certainly the end of the year, a great one to you and your family. Thank you, Carl. To you, too. Uh, Mark Mahaney. Uh, speaking of Alphabet, YouTube officially clinching that deal for NFL Sunday ticket. Our Steve Kovac has details on it. Morning, Steve. Hey, good morning, Carl. Yeah, so Google beating out traditional media companies like Disney and other tech giants like Apple to win that Sunday ticket rights for YouTube. Source tells our C- uh, CNBC.com Lillian Rizzo, Google will pay roughly $2 billion a year for seven years. That's up from the $1.5 billion a year DirecTV was paying. We previously reported the NFL was hoping to get up to $3 billion a year. Now, no word yet on how much a subscription will cost. Right now, DirecTV charges 300 bucks for the season. How it works, though, you can subscribe through YouTube TV as an add-on, but if you don't have a YouTube TV subscription, you can subscribe through the regular old YouTube.com. That's a key difference here, guys. DirecTV would only let you subscribe to Sunday Ticket if you had a DirecTV satellite package. But now anyone with access to YouTube can subscribe to Sunday Ticket, which opens it up to a much bigger audience. It also gives YouTube a chance to actually make money off this between that larger subscriber base and any advertising technology that they might want to inject into the product. And it also speaks to the size and mind share YouTube has. We often leave YouTube out of the streaming wars conversation, but in terms of time spent, YouTube is right up there with Netflix, guys. How is this different, Steve, you think, from the Netflix um, disappointing ad environment conversation that we've been having. I mean, of course, YouTube's been in this game for a long time. It's sort of the name in premium online video mass market wise. But is this a case where because it's NFL and because it's YouTube, you've got two of the biggest brands in digital 
and in media, the, the expectation is that this is an exception to the rule of what's happening in, in advertising overall? Yeah, I think so, because we've seen so many of these AVOD services, that's the free ad-supported ones, you know, kind of take off with middling success, and it can be confusing subscribing to all these tiers. But YouTube is just so understandable and accessible, John. Every, you know, it's just, it's just a juggernaut. And so when you go to YouTube.com or sign up through the app, it's going to be a lot easier for people to access and uh, DirecTV, I mean, who, how many of us have a, a satellite dish stapled to the top of their roofs anymore? <laughs> so, you know, we don't have to worry about that anymore. You just need an internet connection. Yep. And not everybody's got Comcast. Not everyone's got Comcast. Satellite is also a, a very viable option, just for the record. <laughs> All right. Steve, thanks. Uh, thanks Steve guys. Kovac, important story today. Meantime, Sam Bankman-Fried facing that hearing today after being extradited to the United States. Our Mackenzie Sagalos has the latest this morning. Hi again, Mackenzie. Hey, Carl. So Sam Bankman-Fried is expected in federal court today for his initial hearing. His mother seen arriving at the courthouse in the Southern District of New York earlier this morning. And more than 100 photogs and journalists crowded outside the courthouse awaiting his arrival. Now, once the hearing gets underway, the FTX founder will enter a plea on his eight criminal charges. We'll also find out then whether they're granting Bankman-Fried bail. Two former top execs at Bankman-Fried's crypto empire, who were also his roommates at their shared Bahamian penthouse, were reportedly released on $250,000 bail after cutting deals with federal authorities. Alameda Chief Caroline Ellison, Bankman-Fried's ex-girlfriend, and FTX co-founder Gary Wang pleaded guilty to criminal charges that they helped orchestrate this years-long fraud at FTX. Both are now cooperating with ongoing federal investigators. The charges were released last night as Bankman-Fried was en route from the Bahamas to New York, where, the, where he faces charges from the same prosecutors at SDNY, now working with Ellison and Wang. The CFTC and the SEC also bringing civil charges against Wang and Ellison, alleging, among other things, that Wang created this software backdoor in FTX's platform, which allowed Alameda to divert customer funds for its own trades. The SEC also accusing Ellison of manipulating the price of FTX's native token that's called FTT in order to mislead investors. Now, notably, Wang and Ellison's plea deals don't stop federal authorities from pursuing them for tax violations. Now, it might seem like a small carve out, but it could be a way for prosecutors to keep their options open if further evidence emerges. Uh, Mackenzie, we, a lot of discussion this morning about how little leverage uh, Bankman-Fried has if, in fact, he decides to, to cooperate, uh, although some wonder whether or not he would have the good say on figures ex-FTX outside of that particular uh, company. Uh, how much of that is getting talked about right now? Well, I mean, the first thing I have to say is that the timing of all of this is is quite interesting, right? So those guilty pleas were entered by Ellison and Wang on Monday in a sealed hearing. And that was ostensibly the day that we were going to see Bankman-Fried back on U.S. soil. It got pushed back. And it wasn't until Bankman-Fried was in the air and had given himself up that suddenly we found out about this slew of charges and the fact that the that two of his main deputies we're, uh, we're participating with authorities. So a lot of questions there about whether uh, there was a thought process to, to timing it. Because, I mean, as you said, Sam Bankman-Free doesn't have a lot of options. Two people who are very much in his inner circle. I mean, Wang met him at a summer camp in high school. Uh, Ellison uh, worked with him at Jane Street and was romantically involved. So these people intimately know Sam Bankman-Free. Yeah, to say the least. Um, wow. Mackenzie, thank you. Or Mackenzie Sigalos. And, of course, we're going to stick with today's sell-off. Major indices at or near session lows. Up next, he now leads a major tech investing firm, General Catalyst. CEO Herman Neha 
joins us. Uh, Tech Check is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Get a gut check on e-commerce today. JMP says the November holiday shopping, not enough to offset the softening engagement trends we've been seeing. But as we go into a volatile 23, the firm does see Etsy and Amazon as the e-commerce stocks to own, thanks to their robustness in generating traffic. Both stocks obviously big down on the year, uh, and Etsy losing most of its earlier gains from the week as uh, the room to save the holiday season, John, sort of running out. Yeah, you wonder how good or bad a holiday season is priced in. I don't know. Well, now let's turn to venture capital. Our next guest writing in a letter to limited partners. We're living in one of the greatest periods of tech innovation and investment, but venture capitalists are not rising to the occasion. He says they're too focused on delivering strong returns rather than carefully considering how the companies they invest in might impact the world. So where does he see key areas for meaningful investment? Artificial intelligence, fintech, crypto. Joining us now, General Catalyst CEO and Managing Director, Hamant Taneja. He was an early uh, investor in Stripe, Snap, and Samsara. Um, Hamant, great to have you. So uh, let's talk about AI first. Um, How much is the impact of AI, at least in the medium term, already priced into some of these publicly traded stocks? versus how much opportunity do you think there is right now? I think there's a significant opportunity going forward, uh, especially if you're following the recent breakthroughs that are happening and what they're able to uh, activate from an application sort of redesign perspective. I think the bulk of the value is going to be captured by a lot of these cloud vendors uh, because to develop AI, you need uh, large compute and you need large data sets. And so companies like Amazon, Microsoft, Google are well-positioned to be leaders in there. I do think there'll be some interesting uh, startups that get created there as well over the next few years. Well, you're on the board of Samsara, and we've been talking about them. I've been talking about them a lot more recently. There's an interesting use of AI in combination with things like computer vision, uh, in combination with sensors to really uh, drive efficiency throughout real-world logistics and supply chains. Why wouldn't you say that the big opportunity is actually there since a lot of investors are already familiar with the hyperscalers and their potential, and they have pretty good multiples already. 
I, I, I do think um, uh, that's a great use case where an emerging company is well positioned to take advantage of AI because you know, Samsara is a market leader in uh, 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 the fleet use cases that you just laid out. Uh, uh, having said that, I think when you think about the cloud vendors and what they're doing, you know, they're capturing uh, data at scale from uh, large enterprises. So I think that's why they have some inherent advantages. But when, at the application layer, use cases like what Samsara does uh, and companies like Grammarly, which is one of our other portfolio companies, uh, which is in the communications area, uh, are also well positioned to become uh, you know, great businesses uh, uh, by leveraging AI over the next few years. AI-driven uh, chatbots obviously got a lot of attention in the back half of this year. Um, a lot of theoretical discussion about whether or not consumers' entry point into the internet changes as a result of some of this technology. Do you think that's overstated, or is it in the realm of the possible over the next, say, five years? I think it's possible. I mean, I think when you think about, hey, you want to go online and book travel, or you want to go uh, do some other actions as consumers, uh, AI is well positioned to give you a great experience. So you can actually see, uh, you try to envision, rather than having a search bar, you have an intelligence bar uh, where you enter uh, the action you want to see done. And, and in the background, uh, the AI systems are able to just do that for you. So you go from capturing information to make decisions to it's all already just done for you, which I think will be a great experience. So I think there's a lot of disruptive use cases uh, uh, that are on the way. Some of the demos we've seen from companies that are building those today, early stage companies, are remarkable. What's the real uh, kind of nearer, medium-term opportunity in fintech? We're, we're not talking about Web3 as much, it seems. Crypto, I would argue, got overhyped for a while. I don't know how low it has to reset before there's opportunity in building on blockchain and crypto technologies again. But then you've also got Stripe and, and the opportunities of just creating smoother, freer ways to transact digitally. Where is the biggest medium-term opportunity, you think? Um, so... When you think about how money moves globally today, there's still a lot of friction. And uh, if you think about how the fiat currencies uh, were uh, have been designed, sort of moving money for businesses that want to be global is difficult. This is where Stripe comes in. There's a lot of opportunity around uh, continuing to make B2B marketplaces be much more payments enabled so they start to act more like fintech companies. We're looking at a lot of opportunities there. I think the convergence of uh, traditional fintech uh, with blockchain technologies in a way that interoperates with fiat uh, will also be a very large opportunity, especially in countries where they don't have very resilient currencies. How much of a headwind are regulators um, and, and antitrust actions going to present to that? Because now you've got some of those hyperscalers you mentioned off the top who are going to do well who a lot of people might argue are going to be walled off from buying some of those uh, innovative technologies and that could limit the investment in those technologies uh, and helping them grow. Look, I think, I think um, to some extent uh, regulation is necessary uh, in, in this area. I mean, you, 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 we talked about AI and fintech. And fintech, obviously, uh, you know, sovereign nations are going to want to make sure these new systems are created in a way that they interoperate. Uh, with fiat currencies. I think in AI, uh, you know, even as you've seen these recent launches of technologies like ChatGPT, you see these really interesting use cases that uh, expand your imagination, but then you also see the nefarious use cases at the same time. And uh, if we're not 
being uh, intentional about having a framework for how these technologies are brought to market, uh, you'll see unintended consequences again, just like we saw with social media. So to some extent, uh, regulatory as well as self-regulatory frameworks around what we call responsible innovation are necessary as we bring these technologies out to market in these next few years. Hey, finally, I wonder what you make of the argument that's been made you were seeing uh, you know, headcount reduction in some very large tech companies. Ostensibly, that's going to create a, maybe a new generation of younger uh, startups, uh, small businesses, and that the, the attention in 23 is really going to turn uh, to private companies, private valuations, venture capital, private equity. You think that's fair? Look, there's always a lag in correction in the uh, private sector, uh, sort of six to nine months after the private sector, so I, uh, after the public markets correct themselves. So. It's very hard to uh, value businesses that are the growth stages in, ven in the venture capital ecosystem today. So that probably is why a lot of the investing has been slow in that area as well. Having said that, it's a great time to be building new businesses. So the uh, the capital, that, uh, the human capital that's getting unlocked from all these companies, you know, this is when they go and start businesses. So we're very actively investing in early stage companies, and you know, sort of having been around for 20 plus years. You know, if you look at the 08 timeframe and other uh, downturns, those are when the best businesses get created. So I, I do think the ecosystem is going to be pretty active uh, in, in new company creation, and it's going to struggle to figure out how to value these companies that had perhaps, you know, uh, uh, inflated valuations over the last few years due to the pandemic and other reasons. Yeah, I guess that's what folks like Brett Taylor and Stu Butterfield are, are going to do. Uh, start yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Him on today uh, from General Catalyst. Thank you. Thanks for having me. As we said earlier, Sam Bankman Freed facing the music as he arrives back in this country. A former SEC enforcement attorney will join us next on what the crypto industry's future may look like when Tech Check returns in just a couple of minutes. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford. We've got the latest on Sam Bankman-Fried and the crypto fallout this morning. But first, let's get a news update with our Bertha Coombs. Hey, Bertha. Hey, Carl. Here's what's happening at this hour. Stocks are giving back yesterday's gains as worries increase about continued tightening of monetary policy by the Federal Reserve. Hedge fund billionaire David Tepper told Squawk Box he's leaning short on equities and he's concerned markets are not prepared for more rate hikes. CB and the... Uh and the Fed have, uh, and the BOE have signaled future tightenings. So, yeah, we're going to have a lot more tightenings. And they, Joe, as I told you once before, 10 years ago, sometimes they just tell you what they're going to do. And you got to believe them. I kind of believe them. Senators have reached a deal on the spending package to fund the federal government. Major Leader Schumer, Majority Leader Schumer, announcing the agreement on the Senate floor. He says voting on amendments will begin soon. 
And nearly 115 million Americans are under winter weather alerts. Harsh conditions are snarling air traffic on one of the busiest travel days of the year. Across the country, more than 1,700 flights have been canceled. That according to tracking site FlightAware. About a third of the cancellations are flights out of Denver and Chicago airports. Oof. A lot of folks may not make it home for Christmas, at least not early. <laughs> yeah, that includes some senators, maybe. We'll right. see, uh, Bertha. Thank you, Bertha Coombs. Uh, let's dive back into FTX this morning. You're looking at a live shot here of the federal courthouse in Manhattan, where Sam Bankman-Fried is expected to appear for an initial hearing today. Uh, news overnight that two of his top associates are now cooperating with prosecutors. Joining us to discuss, Guidehouse partner Alma Angadi, former special counsel for both the SEC and FINRA. Alma, thank you so much for the time. It's good to see you. Um, I wonder, people trying to sort of suss out what Bankman-Fried's options are here now that uh, Ellison and Wang have accepted some of these claims. So I was actually wondering how the SEC was able to move so quickly, and now we know. Uh, I don't think he's going to have a lot of options uh, if they, because they're very close to him. These aren't very low-level people saying this is what they think the CEO knew. These were these were senior executives very close to him. So it, it seems to me like he's going to have a hard time refuting the government's contentions. Uh, I wonder how, what you make of the sort of collision of activity between the Southern District and the SEC and the CFTC. Is this about uh, as efficient as we could have hoped, given the fact that Congress hasn't made clear who is the tip of the spear here? It, it really is. It's uh, And look, there is historically a lot of collaboration between the CFTC and the SEC and both of those agencies or each of them with the Department of Justice. But I think this is uh, between the speed and the uh, efficiency of this examination, of this process, it shows a really good collaboration and important given the fact that each of these agencies and the Justice Department has an interest in this area and Congress hasn't sorted it out yet. So I think they're all coming together to give investors some comfort that somebody's watching and somebody will do yeah. what they need to do. Yeah, I mean, this FTX story is important in and of itself but also, you can't help but wonder how many facts are going to come to light that affect the rest of the crypto industry. Um, what do you think prosecutors want to know here and are potentially going to be able to find out in the near term that's going to have broader implications for crypto? So I think they're going to want to see what the interactions were between FTX and some of the other exchanges and hedge funds. But I, I think one of the more important effects of this or results of this is that it should make it clear that beyond that the institutions themselves need to be regulated for transparency, for internal controls frameworks, for corporate governance, for all those things that while they can't always stop a fraud, 
help a company to put the controls in place so that somebody can't do something really bad or really stupid. And I think that's sort of the important thing to come out of this. Um, I think we've already seen some blowback from affiliated entities, but certainly the Justice Department will be looking at who, what other entities or companies might have been involved in this, either knowingly or unknowingly. As for Bankman Freed, uh, can you tell our viewers what usually goes into a judge's calculus in determining if someone is a flight risk? Well, they usually uh, they usually look at do they have ties to other countries? And Mr. Bankman Freed clearly has ties to the Bahamas. They look at whether they have the economic resources to leave the country, which is not always the case. Uh, and and sometimes the representations from their lawyers that they're not going to flee will help, depending on who the counsel is in the case. So it's a, a multifaceted decision, but it's, it's, it's mostly do they have the opportunity and do they have somewhere to go? Interesting. Uh, maybe some of those questions get filled in uh, today, this afternoon. We'll see. A lot we still are waiting to find out. Alma, appreciate the guidance on that. Good to see you again. Thank you so much Alma for having Dottie. me. Bye. Let's check in now on Atlassian, ticker team, the DevOps company. One of the biggest laggards on the NASDAQ 100. Falling fast this morning, down more than 8% after Baird cut the price target on the stock to 190 from 210. Tech Check will be right back. been a little weaker lately, but one of the dominating themes of 2022 has been the strengthening dollar that has a big impact on how global tech stocks have been performing. Our Dom Chu has more on that dynamic. Dom? So a lot of those tech and tech-related stocks do get a good amount of their revenues outside the U.S., so it exposes themselves to the strength of the U.S. dollar, which makes it that much harder and more expensive to bring those profits and revenues back home side. So if you take a look at the S&P 500 overall, we do know that it's been facing headwinds, not the least of which has been the dollar also fed interest rate hikes and everything else that's come to fruition with regard to valuations. But if you take a look at one of the ETFs that tracks the value of the dollar, it has been, again, rolling over as of late, but still up about 9% over the course of the last year, though I will point out it's been about a 9% decline since the peak that we saw earlier this fall. So down 9% from the highs, still generally higher. Now, the analyst team at Goldman Sachs put a note out to clients earlier this week taking a look at the parts of the S&P 500 that are the most exposed. Now, technology and materials stood out as the two sectors because those two sectors get at least half their revenues outside the U.S. According to them, technology gets about 59% of its business and revenues outside the U.S., and the materials sector gets about 50. They're the only two sectors that have at least half of their revenues outside the U.S. Now, Within technology, computer chips are always a big focus, but there's a debate about whether or not computer chips are accurately reflecting some of the business exposure to the dollar because they, in essence, sell to foreign makers who then just sell finished products using those chips right back to the U.S. itself. So a little bit of nuance there for some investors. But one place in communication services you will want to keep a close eye on is Netflix, Meta Platforms, and Alphabet because 
That team at Goldman took a look at their revenues, and it turns out that for Netflix and Meta, you're talking about 59% of their overall revenues outside the U.S., and then for Alphabet, roughly 54%. So three very large, very important names. Carl, John, that could be exposed a lot to that dollar trade. I'll send things back over to you. And, Dom, is there a sort of double jeopardy issue here, too? I mean, I I keep thinking about there's the war in Europe, which we're very conscious of. Zelensky just here with Congress last night. And then China COVID lockdown. So um, not only do you have dollar concerns, right, but you've got some regional issues in two of the biggest overseas markets if you're a global company. Sure. I mean, the geopolitical risks, obviously a a big part of that discussion. But overall, when it comes to also a slowdown in China, you're talking about a key manufacturing hub in those parts of Eastern Asia, greater China specifically, that have a, a lot of a gearing towards that technology trade. Remember, for a lot of these chip stocks, you're talking about U.S. chip companies that then sell their wares to a foreign maker, a a laptop maker, a computer maker, a smartphone maker, a tablet maker, that then use those chips to make products that ultimately get sold back to the U.S. So there is this risk of supply chains and everything else exposure-wise to it. But you're absolutely right, John. When it comes to these particular issues facing the world right now, there are specific places and geographies that make it difficult to really tell where the prospects of these, these particular sectors are going, especially when it comes to tech and tech-related sectors out there. Yeah, it's interesting, Dom, on the dollar. You know, we talked to Paul McCulley earlier this morning, who argued, and David Kelly at J.P. Morgan, argued that if uh, Europe, say, has a, a stickier inflation problem, they have to stay more hawkish. We might get more dollar relief, so to speak, uh, which feeds a soft landing argument. On the other hand, we're always bombarded with the argument, Dom, that my, the market looks past FX uh, uh, dynamics. I mean, how do you balance those two? So it's hard to balance those two, but but you're right, because everything in these markets has become a relative trade, and it has been since the market's inception, right? There's always a relative out or underperformance. The real issue then becomes not just about whether or not you have the, the exact currency translation exposure, but also about whether or not some of those moves are indicative of weakening economies relative to the U.S. Now, we've been talking a lot about the prospects for a possible recession, whether there's a soft landing for one here in the U.S. But if there really is a slowdown afoot in key markets and user markets, like in Europe or, of course, some of the places in Asia, specifically China, if those slowing economies really are a factor, then it's not just the currencies that are an issue, but it's end demand overall for those products. So, yes, the currency is a big part of the story, but if people just aren't buying as much stuff, is the bigger problem the fact that they're just not buying as much stuff. That's going to be a big debate, guys. All right, Dom, thanks. I want to call a quick audible and check check the major indices because we're near session lows. The Dow's down about 500 points. NASDAQ off 300. The S&P, Carl, uh, Art Cashman was just telling you last hour, 3,800's level to watch. That's right about where we are um, as we approach noon. Meanwhile, Tesla taking another tumble this morning after a rocky few months for that stock. It has lost a third of its value in just the past three weeks. Tech Check's back in a couple minutes.
Let's get a gut check on AMC today. The stock's plunging this morning after the company announced that $110 million capital raise, uh, converting its ape units into equity. Uh, that move to help reduce the company's debt load by $100 million. AMC also announcing a reverse stock split pending shareholder approval, a reverse 10 to 1. Uh, shares now down 14%. And with that move, the stock is back to right around where it was trading in 2020, like that meme stock phase, John, never happened. Wow. It's a couple years. Um, in the making. Meanwhile, as new products come out, another batch has to fall by the wayside. The Wall Street Journal's Joanna Stern is going to be with us on the products that didn't pan out and what that means for tech. That's in just a moment. Twenty twenty two saw the end of tech's incredible bull run. Uh, that downturn in the market also leading to some significant hardware cuts from decades old tech to products in the market for just a few months. Emmy winning CNBC contributor Joanna Stern of the Wall Street Journal joins us now with her takes. Uh, Joanna, these these downturns have a way of shaking out those consumer hardware plays that, that just weren't that serious. It's true. Sometimes you just have to say goodbye to some gadgets. Uh, it's like that Boys to Men song, I think. Yeah, but it's easy to say goodbye. So what's most <laughs> significant for some of these that were easy to say goodbye to because most of us never said hello to them in the first place? All right, I'm going to start with the Snap Pixie because I do think it is kind of easy to say goodbye to that one. This was Snap's self-flying drone, and it lasted five months. I have milk cartons that last longer than this drone. And this was a fun play by Snap. It was a camera, a camera you could fly in the air. I called it a, a, a flying selfie stick and played into Snap's camera and, and, to the, and to the app and to the lens. So sort of made sense for Snap, but it couldn't weather the headwinds. This thing could not fly against the macro environment. It could not fly against the downturn in ads for Snap. And so they killed this hardware product Though Snap has said, Evan Spiegel has said, the CEO of Snap has said, they will continue to look at augmented reality hardware, uh, specifically the glasses and, and that sort of um, that sort of hardware. Let me let me try to make a broader market point here because it seems like in. Uh 2007, 2008, and back in 2001 even, there were companies that had been trying to use hardware as marketing, as a way to, uh, to seem hip, to get into uh, the consumer market and, and shake things up. And then they just decided hardware is hard when, when things get rough. I mean, in a way, this is, this is a, a cyclical call, isn't it? It is, right? The margins are low on these products. And in this case of, the, of this Snap drone, they were charging $239 for it, right? Can't imagine, actually, they were making much money on it. It's, it's a, it was a decent piece of hardware. Battery life wasn't great, but, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a pretty advanced type of tech. And they'd actually bought a company before that to, to make this thing. So, yeah, to your point, right, there, there wasn't much turn there for Snap in this. doesn't necessarily drive more usership of the app. It was a fun thing for them. And it's similar when you look at Facebook. Facebook had the portal that also died this year. It lasted a little bit longer than that. They've had it for a couple of years. This is their video calling device. And the idea was to get more people using Facebook, Facebook's video calling feature, right? But turned out that just never really resonated. Even during COVID, when you'd expect tons of these things to be selling, they didn't. 
It's kind of nice, uh, Joanna. Uh, the iPod's a great example where you said goodbye because the company just managed to make even more products that you wanted even more. Totally, right? The iPod dies because there was the iPhone and there was streaming music services, right? So nobody really misses the iPod anymore, though at one point it was the thing, right? It changed, it revolutionized the music industry. It revolutionized Apple. And so when you think about some of these products that passed away this year, you've got the iPod, which Apple said, okay, we're not going to make these anymore, but you can still buy them, by the way. Um, but then you've got the other side, you've got Snap and Meta taking things off the market because they're just not, it doesn't make sense for them. They've got to cut costs and, and, and people aren't buying them. You know who misses the iPod, Joanna? Parents miss the iPod because it used to be you didn't have to give your kid like a phone or an internet connected device for them to be able to listen to music. Now it's like Pandora's box. Everything you give them, <laughs> they can access everything. But what is, what is the significance of Facebook meta not cutting metaverse hardware investment at a time when it's so easy to cut consumer investment? To me, this is their big differentiator, right? With the portal, they had tons of competition in the video calling space. Amazon, Google had products like that. When you look at VR, Meta is the dominant player. They have 90% of the market. So they continue to go there. It has been a best-selling device in the holidays. Sure, we've got the Meta Quest now, which they know is a more niche product. But that Quest 2, which they've said they're going to update to the 3 in 2023, it still sells. And right, they're building this big play for the metaverse. That hardware is fundamental. And it's something, again, that, that differentiates them. All right. Joanne, I've got 90% of the market in bald black business anchors as well. Um, we'll see what's going on. You have that quarter. Cornered. Uh, the FT, Lena Khan's coming after me, too. Joanna Stern, thank you. Thanks, guys. If you missed part of this show, don't forget to follow and subscribe to our podcast. You can listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts. We're still sitting a point above 3,800. Tech Check's back in a minute. Get a quick check on the markets. It's turning into a tough Thursday. NASDAQ down uh, nearly 3% this morning. S&P uh, down 2. We've been talking about uh, 3,800, John, uh, being an important support line. That's been definitely true the past couple hours. You know what's down exactly as much as the NASDAQ? Apple, which to me is quite interesting because of how well it was holding up for most of the year compared to uh, the, the major indices overall, m much less the NASDAQ. Also, Microsoft down about 3.5% right now. But Tesla, I just heard you commenting on that, down 8% on a day when Visa is down just one and a quarter. And Walmart is about to perhaps have a bigger market cap than Tesla. Uh, Tesla could break down below 400 million, and there it will find Walmart. So um, question both about growth, highly valued stocks in, in this environment and retail stocks in this environment. We'll see which does worse. Yeah, uh, then you could argue uh, to some degree, some worry about Tesla being uh, consumer uh, vulnerable. By the way, quarter to day Tesla down 52%. S&P still up six for the quarter uh, as we've dipped below 150, then 140, and now 130 uh, at uh, 127 and change. Pretty fascinating. We'll see what happens this afternoon. Obviously, uh, we do have one more trading session to get through before the holiday weekend. Let's get to the half. And Sully starts now. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. 
but there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.